Better listen very carefully. A good martial artist does not become tense, but ready. Essentially, at this point, the fight is over. So you pretty much flow with the goal. Who is worthy to be trusted with the secret to limitless power? I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Bulletproof for BJJ podcast. I'm JT and I'm here with ever wonderful Joey. Always wonderful, Mr. Wonderful. Better believe it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking the best books of 2020. True. Just our opinion, but that's all we got to we give re- you. We read them all. We did. We read a lot. We listened to a lot as well. Audiobooks, audiobooks count. It doesn't matter if you read it or you listen to it. Getting that good info is what we're all about. I actually didn't read that many books this year, I'm going to confess. No, no that's having, okay. Having a baby really fucks up your reading. Oh, believe that. I'll tell you that. Believe. Say that and right I, now. And I think if you're not on the audiobook scene, give it a try. Because it is the easiest way to passively consume information. It's true. In my opinion, like I feel like that's increased the amount of reading so to speak yeah and it just slots into where you would listen to podcasts yeah not where you would listen to our podcast podcast, but the other ones the shit ones that are on your list (laughs) yeah don't worry about them rogan ferris fuck those guys they've been around for a long time get a couple audio books in there double down on the bulletproof stuff pretty much listen to double episodes of the bulletproof podcast you know we're actually going to turn all of our podcast episodes into audio books so you can just listen to that and that yeah, you get smarter as we talk about audiobooks. <laughs> no, I think it's one of those things that I do still read books, but then I got busted. Um, Ola busted me. She tricked me. So I got a lot of books on my kind of nightstand, like beside the bed thing. Yeah. And I'd forgotten. I just, I, as soon as I see a book I like, I just buy it and it gets shipped. A book for you is like, there's never a question of affordability. It's like, no, no that's an investment you can always make. Yeah, you, yeah, I can afford four books a month. You've, like that's, you, I can't, you've like given yourself the, the green light, so to speak, on book yeah. buying. I don't spend money on anything really. Yeah. But audio books, books like I will. Fucking chicken breast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Barbecue chickens, no budget. Um, but it was, it was funny. She's like, how many books do you have on your nightstand? And I was like, oh, not that many. She's like, yeah. What do you want to bet? And I was like, oh, you chicken McFly? I was like, what do you mean, want to bet? She's like, how many do you reckon? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, I reckon you have more than 30. I was like, oh, bullshit. Whoa. I was like, it's got to be sub 20 at best. I was like, I reckon there's 15. She'd already counted. <laughs> <laughs> she'd gone over, counted them all. And then she's like, all right, well, here's the deal. If I'm right, you have to get rid of all of them bar three. <laughs> like, Pass them on, put them in the shelf, do whatever, but they can't stay where they She's are. She's like, this 28 copies of Jugo don't need to be here. <laughs> yeah, You're like, but, but I wanted to read it more than once. God. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but uh, she was right. There was 34 books. Holy shit, what? So we're talking like yeah, sta- more than one stack. Wow. Like two, two and a half stacks. And she, I was like, God, fuck, she's right. So I had to like pick, really pick which ones I'm reading. Yep. And so I had to edit it down. And I think that's what it comes to when we do a selection like this. You've got to think through, what did I listen to? What did I read? What was the best? And that's what we're talking about. We read a lot of good stuff, but um, we're going to go to the best. So, Joe, we, this is no particular order, but top three picks. Where are you going to start? I'm starting with uh, – it's probably one of the first books I read, The Oxygen Advantage. Mm. Yeah, by Patrick McCune. Wait, yeah. Patrick McCune? Yeah, 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 Irish fella. All about the breath. Yep. You can definitely recommend the book for anyone. 
Yes. But you can also listen to him on quite a few different podcasts and stuff. He's, he's a good talker. Yeah, it's all about breathing and oxygen and really for me, and I've spoken about it on other episodes, it redefined how I view breathing. Yes. And um, it was just kind of pivotal for me from that perspective. From reading that book, I've made a couple of fundamental changes. One is that I tape my mouth closed every night. I've been doing that every night since I read the book. Wow. Yeah, so 3M paper tape doesn't open until I take it off in the morning. Wow. And that's, that's that's been pretty huge. And how's that going? It's awesome. I feel like if I don't do it, I'm like, fuck. Like I've, I really, if I'm like, whatever. You're sleeping good. That's okay. Yeah. Felt a bit weird maybe for the first sort of week. Okay. I think maybe you wake up a little bit and you're like, oh, fuck, because I'm so used to breathing through my mouth. Mm. Now, if you're naturally a nose breather, yeah. you don't really need to do it, but I'm naturally a mouth breather. Yes. So when I'm asleep, I'm like, jaw drops open. <laughs> yeah. I wake up with a fucking pasty mouth, yeah. dry throat, all that shit. Yeah. Always have. Yeah. Notice it now with my son. He's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and there's a whole bunch of negative, uh, like health effects as a result of that. Right. You sure. So taping is, has been fundamental, but the other part of it was, and, and I've done a bunch of things around breath over the years, courses, done some work with John Marsh. He's yes. really into the breath. It's always brought attention to me that I need to breathe more through my nose. But for some reason, reading this book was maybe just a timing piece, but Ever since I've read it, I've just been way more aware of my breathing throughout the day and I'm much more uh, in the nose, which is of benefit. Yeah. And actually, you said something interesting and I wanted to just uh, get you just riff on this for a sec. You said that you can breathe too much or like people who do a lot of like long endurance training, but their mouth breathing there's an aging effect. Is that right? Was there something yeah, like that? Yeah. Can you just speak to that for a sec? Yeah, yeah. So that was like I was like, what? Yeah. So the way he frames it, and again, I'm you know I'm not don't take this as verbatim, but uh, basically what I took from his book was that yeah, aging oxygen ages the body. Yeah. Right. So oxygenation of anything ages it. Right. Like rust is oxygenation of metal. Yeah. You know. So it's like oxygenation of there's a price to be paid. And there's almost, in a similar way, I think they say with the heart that there's kind of like a limit. an amount of heartbeats that you get, right? You know, and your limit might be a little bit different to that person's, but basically there's a, there's a ceiling. Yeah, similar with oxygen. And so he's like people that are breathing a lot, which if you are a mouth breather, you are moving larger quantities of air. Yeah, yep, because the nose restricts how much air you can get in. Right. If you're an inefficient breather, you are moving a lot of oxygen you are over-consuming oxygen. And so you are like, for someone, you know, th- that was the paradigm for me because I thought because I'm a shit breather, I'm lacking oxygen. That's right. ki- I kind of had that in my mind, like right. my blood doesn't have enough oxygen or something. But he's like, no, no, you're a shit breather. You have too much oxygen. Wow. Yeah. That's, that sounds, that's really interesting. Yeah, it is, right? I'm going to have to get up on that. So yeah, so the big one, he's like, if you look at efficient breathers at rest, you shouldn't be able to tell that they're breathing. There should be no visible sign that breathing is occurring. You shouldn't even see any movement to the torso or anything happening. And so the imperceptible breath, I think he calls it. I'm holding my breath is right the now. goal. Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can fuck with that. <laughs> of course, if you do an athletic stuff, it's different. It's but hard. Yeah. So yeah, that was a big one for me. What's, uh, what's top of the li- or number? What's your first pick? Uh, I'm going to go... Effortless by Gregory McEwen. Ooh. Who is... No, uh, that's why when I say I'm like, oh, Patrick McEwen, McEwen, right? Yeah. 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 I was like, hang on. Is he that other guy? So Greg McEwen is English 
of, I mean, Irish heritage, I believe. I think they've got about four different surnames over there. Yeah, but he, he lives in the States. And he was originally, <laughs> originally the author of Essentialism. Mm. And his second book is called Effortless. The reason why he wrote this book is because he's like, people were coming to me and saying, I'm still, I've cut it back to bare bones minimum and I'm still overtaxed. What do I do? Oh, like overtaxed energetically? Well, yeah, life. Right. It's like, I've, I've really minimized my life to just like family and work. And I just focus on that. And I'm still overwrought. And it's really interesting because he talks about like his daughter went through this. Basically, I don't know if she had a tumor or she basically went right downhill mentally, physically, everything. She was a happy, healthy girl to having to go through clinicians and surgeries and a lot of problems. And he found his life got incredibly complicated. And at the core of effortless, which is a question I have to ask myself sometimes is what would this look like if it was easy? Because we're always looking to make things harder, more complex, add things, do more. And he was saying, even if people follow the principles of essentialism, you still get to points in your life where it still feels, unless you're a monk and you've, you know, you've separated yourself from your life and you're just sitting in the temple, it's pretty hard to keep things super simple. And he was like, but actually, is there an easier way to do it? And, and actually looking at things and trying to find the way, which is, not path of least resistance, but using imagination. And I think I am someone who sometimes will over, overthink things and overcomplicate things. And I don't believe it. Oh, believe it. And effortless is really about how can we make this simpler? I like that. Easier. Like why look for harder? That's actually not the best way. Yeah, I like that. And so, yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend it because there's obviously a lot more to it. But What's, that's what I got from it. What are they implying there though? Are they implying that that life should be easy or that things should be, or is it? No, it's not. It's sometimes when you're in a stressful situation, you're looking for more as the answer. And that's, that's usually not the case. Oftentimes the solution is to remove things and it's like, okay, this seems really hard and complicated. What would it look like if it was easy? Like, what would it take for this to be simpler? Simpler. Yeah. And okay. how do we move towards that? Like, maybe we don't need to have three meetings a week. Yeah. What if we could have one just really good meeting? How would we do that? And, and trying to think laterally around these problems we have and reframing and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I, I found it was actually really helpful for me because even when I'm talking with my friends, I would be like, oh, this sounds like a problem what would it look like if this situation was like easy or solvable? How do you, how do you frame that? And that, that idea is, has been helpful with friends and talking with people. That's cool. I like that. I like essentialism. I will add effortless to my list. Check it out. Second cab off the ranks for me is going right. Uh. A logical justification for pursuing your dreams uh. by Logan Gelbrick. Okay. Yeah. So Logan, you read that Jules? Liked it? Um, yeah, so Logan is I will take some notes. owner of a gym in uh, LA, in Venice Beach, called Deuce. Oh, you went there? Yeah, I went there. Oh, straight up. Yep, yeah, yep. yeah, I remember you talking about that. Yeah, so I, I came to know Logan some years ago when he was out in Australia doing a, um, he did like a, he does this thing called the Hold the Standard Summit, Okay. which I attended, which was really kind of a bunch of gym owners and it was him presenting his sort of philosophy on how to run an elite organization. Wow. And- 
he, you know, instantly when you meet the guy, you're like, fuck, this dude is like, he's a real thinker. Right. And, uh, and he runs this cool gym, but the, the way he articulates himself is beyond what you would think a gym owner would ever need to right. be like. Yes. And uh, anyway, it, from my perspective, he's a bit of a thought leader. Nice. And so I actually pod, had him on the Jungle Brothers podcast cool. earlier this year, recorded right here in the garage, obviously through Zoom. Whoa. In this very garage, probably in one of these two baby chairs that um, we're sitting in right um, now. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyways, he wrote this book, Going Right, and it's all about uh, – he, he the format you can kind of picture, he's taking like stories of people who have achieved great things in sport and in business and in life. And then he's paralleling that with basically an argument for why you should chase your dreams too. And always sort of referring back to how the machine that we're in will always push us away from our dreams. The machine is always like, no, don't do that. That's risky. Go with what's safe. Mm. But his whole thing is like, actually what the world needs is for you to chase your dreams because what's safe is going to fuck you up. Yes. Um, so it's re- yeah, really, really, just a really great book on like it's very inspirational and it's stuff that you're like, oh yeah, oh, wow, this, you know, whatever this baseball player, oh yeah, they failed this many times and oh and then they succeeded. It's all it's all that sort of generic, yeah, cool inspo stuff, but it hits hard. Nice. And I'm like, that was cool. Yeah, that's cool. And it's cool you got to meet him. So like one, get to interview him, but then go and chain with him and like not just do his thing, but then see him in his element. Yeah, that's cool. I don't think people. Uh, often get that chance to meet the author, so that's he's a uh, he's an amateur jujitsu player. He invited me to go roll when we were there, but it was like a seven a.m. class. I was <laughs> I mean, on holidays. You say amateur. Joey doesn't do seven a.m. class. <laughs> I know he doesn't. <laughs> but when you say, how long is he in the jujitsu uh, journey? He's been so he he was doing jits when he was here for the summit, which was probably four years ago. He's but he trains like once a week. Ah. Uh. And he was. This is what excellence looks like. Yeah, cross face. And he's like, he's like, bruh. He's like, I go to the morning class. <laughs> we throw down a little bit. We get coffee. He's like, it's it's really nothing oh, special. He's like, yeah. sometimes I don't go. Oh. It's a bit for him. It's like excellent. It's an out. It's an outlet of sorts. You know. I get it. Not everyone can be great at everything. That's fair play. <laughs> fair play. You can't just be the gym philosopher king and also be good at jujitsu. Actually, can I make a reference there though? Please. Um, I think it's episode 147 of the Jungle Brothers podcast. Check it out. Yeah, check it out. Me and Logan having a chat. If, you, if you're in that kind of realm, you're in the gym thing, strength thing, you'll appreciate it. Yeah, sounds like a ledge. Uh, mate, number two for me is a bit of a weird one. You, This is something that you guys, it's actually a bit of a history lesson. It's called How Innovation Works by Matt Ridley. Matt Ridley is a, he's a scientist actually. He's from England. And it's basically the history of every major technological innovation to date. Wow. Talks about hybridizing wheat, how wheat nearly completely failed, and how World War II was the reason why wheat became this thing in the- The most um, successful species on our planet. Basically. um, And it was only because they got it from Japan. It was this particular like short stalk wheat that they hybridized with this Kentucky wheat. Because wheat crops were failing, it would rain too much and it would collapse the stalks and it would just rot. It talks about the history of um, gunpowder and um, uh, the – yeah, it's crazy wow. because it talks about toilet, it talks about the steam engine, cars, like everything from fire yep. through to where we are now. Wow. But the, the, the delineation is this. It's not about invention. His argument is invention is easy. Innovation is where you get society – it's so good, society adopts it. So innovation isn't always the first person to come up with it. 
Because you might have a person who's an inventor, but they're terrible at marketing or they don't have the ability to make it a worldwide thing. It's the person, the innovator is the person who's able to get the king to adopt the behavior. Right. So for example, potatoes in France. For example, potatoes were outlawed for a period of time. And he talks about how potatoes came from the Aztecs in South America and were brought to Europe. And for a long time, it was like, no, they look like tumors. We don't eat things that look like tumors. But then he's like, like, he talked about the guy who was like this particular concierge. He was like, no, whatever, Louis Thirteenth of France. Dude, you can make money on tax. You can grow more food per hectare using potatoes than wheat. And he's like, you can make money on tax. Ah, oh, very good. Ah, oh, wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> and then before you know it, French fries, right big money, baby. <laughs> it may not, that might not be the evolution. But, uh, but yeah, it's so interesting because he talks about these people who did stunts to try and show like here's the electric engine better than the steam engine. Ah, uh, yeah. Just all this stuff and 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 the process is crazy. But what you don't, I guess I'm not a history nerd, but I learnt so much. I was like, wow, this is really powerful because you take for granted that wheat works. But if they hadn't kind of if Japan hadn't lost its part of the war, the Americans wouldn't have been exposed to this wheat. And wheat as a product like would have failed because they hybridized this special short stalk Japanese wheat with the Kentucky red, whatever. And that made the perfect stalk of wheat that wouldn't collapse under rain and would have high yield and all this stuff. Okay. Talks about Monsanto, talks about how they're innovating to do what they're doing. He's not saying good or bad. He's just yeah. saying this is what's it's happening. Innovation. Yeah, he talks about electric cars, all of that. Does he talk about Nikola Tesla by any chance? Yeah, he talks about Tesla and Alexander Graham Bell and yeah. all of that. And it's, it's kind of sad because Tesla was so smart, but also for all of his invention and genius, he, he was also kind of – he was his own worst enemy. He, he wasn't the best at being able to sell and market and productize his invention. And yes. Yeah. Edison was the guy Edison, who could do all that, wasn't Yeah, he? but then Edison was also like, uh, like, okay, this might be a crude analogy, but like Steve Jobs had a lot of people working for him, right? Yeah. So even though Steve Jobs had this vision, he was much more in the idea of uh, the marketing and the selling and telling the story. And he had a lot of people inventing stuff under his wing. Yeah. And that's where, you know, Edison had hundreds of people working for him making these things that were his ideas. Right. And then, you know, him being like, oh, look at what I invented. Yeah. And that guy's died of lead poisoning. Like, you know, like that kind of shit. Yeah. And I mean, people hate on him if it wasn't for his ability to have the money, get the loans and do that process. We wouldn't have so much of what we have now. Yeah. And unfortunately, even though from what I understand, the small amount I understand about Nikolai Tesla, brilliant, but also terrible business, like not a business guy. Yeah. And that's the thing about innovation. The difference between invention and innovation is the cultural adoption. Right. Where it's so good, why would you do it the other way? Yeah. And man, I learned so much from that. So How Innovation Works by Matt Ridley is actually an, an awesome book. That sounds sick. That's good. It's interesting. I read a book years ago, um, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Ah, yeah. A lot of people talk about that. Yeah. I think Jared Diamond. Yes. Um, sounds like a lot of parallels. Mm. You know, it's... it's um, uh, just in the in the way of like talking about like things that were revolutionary mm. in the human story, kind yeah, of sounds like a very similar sort of vibe. Yeah, I mean, like funny little anecdote. At one point in time, they were taking all the manure and all the urine from the farmers to make gunpowder. 
Wow. And so they couldn't fertilize the soil. So even though they're having all these wars, they couldn't actually sustain their crops and people are dying. So then they were like, oh, let's go down the Caribbean or let's go off the coast of America. And there were islands of guano, dried bird droppings. Oh, wow. Like islands. And they would just like carve them out. And there was a three-month line of ships lining up to take the guano back to England to fertilize the soil. Holy shit. Yeah, that was a real thing. And there were wars in South America over a particular island, which was the fuel source for agriculture. Wow. You're just like, what? A natural fertilizer. Yeah, amazing. So then once they got petrochemicals and they started like doing it that way, they're like, oh, we don't need guano so much anymore. Oh, where you go. Okay. Interesting. That's a good tie into my third pick, uh, <laughs> which I'm, I actually haven't finished yet. I'm halfway through. Okay. But I'm all about it. It's called The Omnivore's Dilemma uh, by Michael Pollan. Yes. Michael Pollan, for those who don't know him, is a, he's a, he's a well-known author. I think he's on all the big podcasts. You can yes. hear him on Ferris, Rogan, all those cats. Uh, I, don't know, I listened to him recently on Diary of a CEO, which isn't yep. – I, I don't mind that show. But um, fuck, he did a series on Netflix called Cooked. Yes. Which I f- highly recommend. It's like a three-part kind of miniseries. But um, he's a fascinating guy. And The Omnivore's Dilemma is all about his sort of deep dive into the world of food production. Mm. So he buys like a baby cow, like a calf, yeah. and then kind of sells it to this into the, the big commercial cha- sort of industrial system. And then he tries to follow it. And he can only follow it to a certain point before he kind of gets cut off from you know, before the cow becomes like an economic unit. Mm. You know, he, he does that. He, re, he, he talks all about corn production and how corn is, is a commodity that is, you know, separated from what used to be like farmers would grow their food mm. and, and then sell their food. It's like now this shit is just grown. We don't know where it all comes from. It all gets combined and all gets turned into these products that we see on the shelves in the supermarket. And then he'll parallel that with a big dive into like organic food production on an industrial scale, but then organic on a micro scale mm. and the shit that he's learning along the way. It's really good. I think it's, it's sort of one of those books that I feel is like a, it's almost an obligation for people to read because it, it just points you to the inefficiencies of our food system. Yes. And it's like, well, those inefficiencies are probably one of the greatest things harming our planet. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, if you, it, I don't think anyone should stay like oblivious to that. You know, it's not necessarily the case that you can do anything about it. You no. might not be able to disengage with the commercial food supply. I know we, I haven't fully but still ate McDonald's a- the other day and shit. <laughs> but for the most part, you have to be like, all right, well. Try to make some good decisions. Yeah, what can I, like, what can I support? What growers are in my area? That whole sort of thing. Reduce impact. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, and, and like eat better food, right? Like yeah. be healthier. For sure. I mean, I watched a documentary many, many years ago. It's probably like 15 years ago now, which was talking about I can't even remember the name of it. it and, it, you know, my father's vegetarian. He's always pushed that from an ethical p- perspective and I know it's better for the environment. I think one of the hardest things is I actually got into a discussion with a guy who majored in the evils of agriculture, <laughs> which is pretty intense. He studied sustainable agriculture and basically said, it's not possible. <laughs> like I was like, because we were talking about vegetarianism and I said, I feel that's the better way. And he said, well, actually, it's kind of hard. Because we're putting all of these nutrients in the ground to absorb them into plants and then rip it out of the plants to ingest it through the plants, but we're degradating the soil. Yeah. And there's, I don't know if you've seen the, um, 
there's a particular guy who's to save our soil. It's a big thing about trying to re-enrich soil and how that's really the future because if we don't do that, then we're, we're not going to be- fucked. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's kind of, fr- it is frightening, guys. Like, I, I mean, I have thought this as another, another thing to think about is <laughs> just trying to consider like, how can I lessen my impact? So for example, maybe turkey mince is, has less impact on the globe than beef mince. So maybe that's, that's a halfway step. Yeah. Or can. like having your own chickens in your backyard to have some eggs that way, you feed the chickens, you control that. And I think there was something that said the other day, I, I can't remember where it was referenced, that if every American who had enough space, and this isn't, I'm not just putting on you, our American cousins, Australians too, because a lot of Australians have backyards. If you had two or three chickens, we wouldn't need the chicken population for eggs the way we do. Yeah, right. You know, but we just don't want to do it. We don't want to deal with chicken shit and yeah. we don't want to deal with- no time to go out there and get the eggs. Yeah. So I think that's a- that's cool, man. It's yeah. I mean, on that, like, I mean, it's it's a huge discussion, right? But yeah, I don't think the like meat plays a part in a healthy. It's ma- yeah, yeah. And he goes, he spends time with Joel Salatin. Do you know Joel Salatin? No. He's um he's super interesting. He owns a farm called Polyface Farms. Okay. And you would have seen him. He's in a lot of these kind of agricultural kind of food docos. Okay. And he's got like he has his farm, and basically what he does is he'll he rotates his stock constantly. Right. And he has this really neat system where he uses electric fences to move the animals around. And he'll move them like on an almost daily basis. Wow. But he'll have, he'll have the, the cows come in and they'll eat, like the grasses will grow. Cows will come in, eat the grass. Then he'll move the cows on. Then he'll bring in the pigs. Right. The pigs will come in and rip up all the ground. And so what that does is it allows the new seeds of grass to germinate. Nice. And it exposes bugs. Then he'll move the pigs on. And he'll bring the chickens in. Oh, nice. The chickens will come in, eat all the bugs and shit everywhere. Fertilize, yeah. And then he'll like leave the paddock for whatever, some time. The grasses will flourish. He brings the cows back in. He just has this system that he uses. So it's all cool. rotational. But every every animal plays a part. And he actually calls himself a grass farmer. Oh. He's like, that's what that's actually what I'm doing is I'm farming the most luscious grasses. And that gets my animals the most excited. And that's how we produce healthy animals that can express themselves and produce like high yields of meat and whatever. Mm. It's a closed loop system. There's no waste. Nice. You know, like they're enriching the soil rather than degrading, right? Yeah. Impressive. And so, yeah, when you hear that, you're like, fuck, there's ways you can do this stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily fit with like the huge mass scale um, monoculture type farming that it's our societies live on. It is hard. And it's, you know, if you think you've already got enough to think about with the anxiety inducing news cycle and then someone starts to talk to you about what's going on with farming you're like oh my god yeah it's a lot it feels like a lot you pick your battles but i I think the good thing about that is you can make changes in small ways like whether that be just hurts me to say my swole friends eat a little bit less meat choose where you're getting it like my parents have chickens which is awesome and so you're literally eating the eggs from the chickens you fed this morning on the compost, the, the food scraps, you know? Yeah. So you're not putting that in food waste, you're giving it to the chickens. Yeah. It's they're, turning, it's, they're turning that waste into meat and yeah. eggs. Yeah, it's, it's, that's cool. Yeah. Like that's, that's really good. And, and it's, a, it's a challenge, but being informed is better than ignorance, I think. What's your third book? Mate, Atomic Habits. Oh. James Clear. Ah, good book. Power. Power. I read it at the start of the year and it's just, mm, I've read other books on habits. Like I read BJ Fogg's book, Tiny Habits which were released at the same time. I feel James Clear is the most concise and he makes it really accessible. It's not 
too theoretical. It's literally like you are trying to change your behavior. Here's how. Yeah. We talk about lowering the uh, barrier to entry. He does that. He's like, look, start with this. You know, it's so I guess it really resonates because it's similar to what we talk about with jujitsu or strength training. Like if you can't do, don't try and do five things at once. Just do this one thing. Just do that and, and work at that. And he makes it incredibly accessible. And he gives a lot of parallels and um, of using this research, the science, and being like, this is what the research shows. And here's how you can execute that. Yeah. And here's what I do. And man, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy bestseller, but what's interesting is there's a lot of people who have no idea about that book. And people get really hooked up in motivation and inspiration. And I think I used to be one of those people. I'm a kind of hype person. I'm like, oh, I want to be inspired. Yeah, woo. But actually that ebbs and flows. And really, this is a saying that stuck with me. We don't rise to the heights of our, you know, our hopes. We fall to the lows of our training. That's really where we go. So if you're not trained, if it's not a habit, you're not likely to do it. The biggest problem is how do we get a new habit? How do we do that? Because all the time we have habits and they're very unconscious. We just kind of got them over time. I just always done it that way. So, all right, how do we change that behavior? And one of the really good things he talks about is like habit stacking. I like that. It's so good. It's like just pair something you want to bring in, like journaling, say, and do it with your morning coffee. Yeah. Because you're going to have that morning you're coffee anyway. Coffee. Yeah. You're going to sit there for two, three minutes. You'd scroll on your phone, write some stuff down. It's like, yeah, that's accessible. I could do that. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. So I, I found that to be really practical, very clear, easy read recommend it to anyone you, you've read it i read it yeah maybe i don't know last year or something yeah i loved it as well yeah and i think that yeah like it's it's a it's almost a must read for people that for anyone but for anyone who feels like they're maybe not operating as efficiently as they could be it's like fuck read that it yeah. will help you tighten up some shit totally whether you want to be more productive or whatever like just just bring in a new habit i used the habit stacking idea to start reading more cool i was like fuck i'm just i've fallen out of the habit of reading and i was like Habit stacking. Oh, what am I doing? Well, every morning, I, I this is during COVID. Mm. I was like, I'd get up, I'd go upstairs, I'd do a bit of breath work, and then I'd journal and start my day. I'm like, well, I'm just going to add 20 minutes of reading to that process. Mm. And it was like, how can I not do it now? I'm, I'm yeah. here journaling. There's the book. Yeah, it's mad. Do it. Yeah, nice. No, I, I love it. Doesn't matter if you read it or you get it on audio. It's it's great. That's our top three each. From 2022. Yes, sir. We spoke about it last episode, but the app is out now. Bulletproof for BJJ.com. You can find it. It's there. Jump in. It's free. Start training. All of our programs are there and we're there. And yeah. fucking give it a go and tell us what you think. We'd love to see you on the community page. Love it. Cheers, guys. guys.